Louise Bedford here. Just before we kick off with today's show, I wanted to let you know that for one week only, you can get up to 84% off a selection of my most popular trading education products available through tradinggame.com.au. Make no mistake. Your financial future is in your hands. So check out the audios, videos, and study courses that I have available at tradinggame.com.au. Now's your chance to develop your skills as a trader for up to 84% off, but only for the next week. Let's get on with the show. But if you turn, if you wake up in the middle of the night, and this is where I think it is problematic, and you turn on blue screen, uh, turn on screens, uh, and you expose yourself to blue light. Uh, what happens? Is it really does suppress melatonin because in the middle of the night, your body is saturated with melatonin, which is a natural sleep hormone. And if you turn, if you wake, say two o'clock in the morning, and you think, oh, I might as well just check, you know, my emails or whatever, the uh, blue light in the middle of the night can have a detrimental effect on your. Um, melatonin, which means it's basically going to wake you up. Hi, it's Caroline Steeman here. Louise Bedford and I are fond of saying that a good night's sleep is a trader's secret weapon. And today on Talking Trading, we continue our discussion with sleep psychologist, Dr. Frank Carl, on how to maximize your sleep for peak optimal performance. Last week, we discussed with Frank REM sleep, which is the emotional washing machine of our minds. We discussed pre-midnight sleep and techniques to switch off our monkey minds. Well, today we talk about sleep hygiene, the role our iPhones and blue light play in keeping us awake, and we look at snoring and sleep apnea. But first on today's show, here is Louise Bedford with our unsung hero of the week, one of my favourites. Leanne Savory. Our unsung hero for today is Leanne Savory. Leanne, I know you've been a guest on Talking Trading before for your trading results, but I want to actually draw everybody's attention to your personal qualities. If I ever need something done, done quickly, done efficiently, where I only explain it once, you are my person. You see, you've been helping out at the mentor program meetings for years for us, and we appreciate you so much. You bring a clarity and a calmness to the room, and I know that whatever goes wrong in those meetings, whether there's no tea and coffee served or whether there's no whiteboard marker, I can always trust that you will fix it. Now that, that is such a relief to a presenter. Leanne, we love the way you're going about your trading and your life and that you're becoming the trader we always knew you could be. I'm glad that you ran on our belief, even though it took a few years of us indoctrinating you and saying that you can do it. You never gave up and your results have been spectacular. So Leanne, today you are our unsung hero. Hi, I'm Rick Schnabel. I'm the author of The Power of Beliefs, and I listen to Talking Trading.
Dr. Frank Carl is a psychologist who specialises in treating sleep disorders and making people at one with their mattresses. Here is part two of our discussion on a trader's secret weapon, sleep. We start off by discussing the role of sleep hygiene. Well, sleep hygiene is everything that you do before you get into bed, basically, other than washing your hands before you go to bed. Um, it's, it's looking at all the things that can interfere with your ability to actually fall asleep. So the typical things that fall under sleep hygiene are making sure that you're not drinking alcohol before you go to bed. Mm, um, yeah, reducing caffeine during the day. Um, not napping. Napping during the day can reduce your sleep drive. Um, screen time. There's a lot, lot of, um, lot of stuff that's gone on about the impact of screens at night. It's deadly. Um, yeah. What's your experience with that? I find that I can flick through my phone, but if I watch YouTube, I'm gone. I won't be able yep. to sleep. It's it's an interesting one. Different people are going to respond to it differently. Um, there are two components with screen time. One is the blue light, and the second thing is the uh, content. So the content kind of gets your mind spinning. That's that's separate from the blue light. But generally, if we look at the whole concept of screen time, um, the the concept is is that it admits if you've got screens in front of you, say within about I don't know less than a, uh, two feet in front of you, so usually a tablet or um, a phone. Um, what happens is the blue light uh, theoretically can mess with the melatonin onset. But what we've actually found is that using screens up until the time that you go to bed is usually okay. Uh, I think it's more the content that sort of stimulates you. But if you turn, if you wake up in the middle of the night, and this is where I think it is problematic, and you turn on blue screen, uh, turn on screens, uh, and you expose yourself to blue light, uh, what happens is it really does suppress melatonin because in the middle of the night your body is saturated with melatonin, which is a natural sleep hormone. And if you turn, if you wake say two o'clock in the morning, and you think, oh, I might as well just check, you know, my emails or whatever, the uh, blue light in the middle of the night can have a detrimental effect on your um, melatonin, which means it's basically going to wake you up and it's going to hard, be harder to fall to sl fall back to sleep. So the general rule from my money is that um, um, using blue screens right up to the time you go to bed is, for most people, most people it's okay, but it's deadly if you do it in the middle of the night. You've mentioned, you've talked about diffusing techniques when mm. someone is having trouble sleeping, they're starting to feel anxious about going to bed, getting to sleep, waking up the next morning, able to do the next job for the day. How does someone manage all that anxiety that's building? Again, this is a, a quite a common presentation that I see in the practice where people have developed an anxiety about going to sleep. And, and the reason why that's happened is that they've started to struggle with their sleep and they start to catastrophize about the impact a bad night's sleep is going to have on their capacity to function the next day. So it builds up this massive fear. And in actual fact, what can actually happen is that people develop what we call a conditional arousal response, where um, they get into bed, they could be tired, sitting on the couch watching TV, and they think, oh, great, I'm going to fall asleep. And they get into bed, and as soon as they get in their bed, they just become alert. And what's happening there is, is that the... Um, the mind is actually perceiving the bed as a dangerous place where you don't sleep or you struggle. So your sympathetic nervous system, which is your fight-flight response, starts to kick in a little bit and you become highly alert. And people can be lying in bed struggling to get to sleep for hours upon hours. Um, 
And I actually had clients that have um, laid in bed for two or three hours and ended up having panic attacks wow. um, because of the fear. It's quite quite profound. Behind the whole fear and anxiety is, is the belief that if I don't get a good night's sleep, I won't function the next day. Yep. But the reality is, is, you know, when we question people uh, whether that's true or not, that is on a bad night's sleep, do they actually get through the day? And invariably what they'll say is, yeah, I do. I eventually get through the day. So I think part of it, um, there's a behavioural component here and a cognitive component. The cognitive component is decatastrophizing the um, impact of a bad night's sleep and just knowing that regardless of how much sleep you get, you know you'll get through the next day. It's the anxiety about worrying about it, which is uh, increases your arousal levels and actually produces the adrenaline that stops you from falling asleep. Um, but the other thing too, and this is the best way to break that, what we call that conditional arousal response, um, is getting out of bed for short breaks. So what that basically means is um, if you uh, get into bed and you find yourself highly anxious, just try and calm yourself down for about 15, 20 minutes. But if you find your anxiety is really picking up, then you get out of bed, cool down, reset 10 minutes, go back to bed. And then if you find you, that's happening again, you get out of bed. You might have to repeat this process three or four times. But eventually what happens is you eventually go to bed and you fall asleep. So the brain then registers, I go to bed, I go to sleep. Whereas before it said, I go to bed, I lie in there for three or four hours and I struggle to go to sleep. So the behavioral component is getting out of bed um, a number of times just for short breaks and then going back to bed. And that's how you generally break the cycle. But shifting your thinking around, um, I have to have a good night's sleep in order to function the next day is not necessarily true. What's the place for mindfulness and relaxation? Are you an advocate? Uh, you know, yes and no. Um, I, I think uh, relaxation and mindfulness um, exercises, I think, are excellent. Uh, and there's lots of terrific apps out there like... Um, uh, Smiling Mind and Headspace, which you can download for free. Um, I often find if I'm dealing with a client who's hyper-aroused, um, particularly when they go to bed at night, I find it useful for them to do some relaxation, often putting on some of these meditation tapes before bed but not in bed. Mm. Um, I'll often get them to do it maybe two or three times a day, um, perhaps in the morning, a little 10-minute exercise of mindfulness, meditation, might do it at lunchtime, might do it in the evening to lower their overall arousal during the day. But this is the thing. A lot of people take these meditation tapes into bed with them with the hope that this will help them fall asleep. And do you know what happens? It just puts more pressure on trying to get to sleep. So when they get to the end of the tape and they go, oh, bum, I'm still awake. <laughs> and then there's this anxiety about will anything be able to help me get to sleep? So here we're introducing things to help control our sleep um, in the same way people use medication to try and get to sleep. So the general rule is if you're going to do any of this stuff, do it out of bed. Uh, once you get into bed, just focus on resting and drifting because sleep is something you can't control. It just comes when it comes. And if you get really frustrated out of bed, repeat that process for short breaks and then back into bed. So you mentioned medication there. Let's let's go into the medication question because I take sleeping pills and it's a thing that it starts to rule your life. How many did I take? Can I take less tonight? Oh my God, I took too many last night. How do people stay on a low dose and then how do people eventually get off sleeping pills? Yeah, this is quite common. I see a lot of this um, in the practice. I've uh, worked with clients that have been on pretty heavy sleeping medication for uh, 10 years or more. 
Um, the thing about going on sleeping medication is, um, and look, don't get me wrong, it has a place. Um, it's there for a purpose. Um, it, uh, it's very good at breaking uh, patterns. Uh, when people get to a particular point where they're not functioning, it's very useful to get their life back into order. So um, I'm not um, anti infected believe it has a very good place and i've often recommended people go on medications for short periods of time but coming back to your question how do you get off it um well what happens is when you start medication and it doesn't matter whether you're taking a benzo a z-class drug um antipsychotic antidepressants which all have sleeping agents or whether you're getting something over the counter like uh, rest of it which is a very common one they all kind of uh, mess with your relationship with, with your sleep. And basically what happens is you, the brain goes, uh, I, take, I take a pill, I go to sleep. If I don't take a pill, I don't go to sleep. And if I don't go to sleep, that's awful. I won't be able to function the next day. So their anxiety goes up. So you develop this very strong, intimate relationship between you and the medication. It's an intimate so relationship. So how do you get off it? Well, it is totally intimate. Um, so what happens, and the other thing too is after a while it doesn't work, so you've got to take more. Yep. The general rule is, A, you start with a commitment, whether you're ready to come off the medication. So you have to be ready, okay? That's number one. Number two, once you're ready to do that, you then start reducing it very, very slowly. You yes. do not stop. It doesn't matter whether you're on uh, an antihistamine or whether you're on a powerful, you know, um, drug like um, Stilnox. Uh, you start very slowly, which means that you get a pill cutter and you start breaking it up. Yep. And typically, typically you go to three quarters of a tablet for a couple of weeks, then a half a tablet for a couple of weeks, and so on and so forth till you get down to a quarter of a tablet. And it might take a couple of months. Um, so that's okay. You take your time. Secondly, um, it's useful to um, tighten your sleep up. So that means going to um, if you're in bed for about eight hours. <clears throat> and you're um, taking your sleeping pill and falling asleep uh, quickly, as you come down on your dose, you'll probably find that it's going to take longer and longer to fall asleep. And when that happens, you get a little bit anxious, and then you usually end up uh, increasing your dose. That's right. Yep. So the general rule is uh, tightening your sleep up to around about six, six and a half hours in bed, which increases your overall sleep pressure. So that means if you're going to bed at 10, move your bedtime to, say, 11, 11.30 and get up maybe half an hour earlier. So that increases your sleep drive, which acts like a, a separate sleeping pill. So uh, that's the first thing. Uh, and the second thing as you come down um, and you're lying in bed for longer periods of time, recognise this is a normal part of the process, but if you're lying in bed and you're starting to get a little bit restless, what do you do? Out of bed, short breaks, 10 minutes, cool down, reset, back into bed, mm -hmm. and repeat that process till you fall asleep. But this is the thing. Um, and I tell this to my clients, when you get down to a quarter of a tablet and you're ready to stop, you might go one night on, one night off, mm. one night on, one night off. But at some point, you're going to stop. Now, when you stop, you've got to remember it goes in th days of th three days, which basically means the first night that you've stopped, you'll get twitchy and you'll have a rough night. The second night will probably be just as twitchy, uh, might get a little bit more sleep. But a lot of people, after two nights of poor sleep, what do they do? They go back on the meds. Yeah, I yeah. understand. It takes three nights. And oh, after right. three nights, your sleep starts to build. And then after about a week, it starts to settle. But you've got to persevere. And as I said, it all starts with a commitment to give up in the beginning. But I've gotten lots and lots of people off medication over the years. Frank, 
Let's talk about snoring and sleep apnea mm-hmm. because they're such big issues for so many people. My partner's the worst snorer and the worst sleep apnea. He now has a CPAP machine, which has been very effective. Oh, excellent. How, how much does snoring and sleep apnea affect people's sleep quality? Mm. Uh, now, whose sleep quality are we talking about, the bed partner or the snorer? <laughs> Start with the, uh, the snorer. Um, well, the snorer... Um, well, if the person a person can be a snorer and not have sleep apnea, um, generally snoring's worse when we're lying on our back uh, mm. because the soft pellet starts to collapse and um, it creates that snoring. Um, Hence, sound. you sew a golf ball into someone's pajamas on their. Uh, back. Is that what you did? <laughs> is that what, <laughs> yeah, you can do that or pack pillows up, but keeping people on the side can actually help. But generally, uh, a person who is snoring. Um, they can have um, uh, it can be a symptom of sleep apnea. Also, is a symptom is if, if a person stops breathing during the night mm. and they wake up choking, and that's what we call an apnea, where you actually completely stop breathing. And people can stop breathing for up to a minute or mm. more. My boyfriend, did um, that. yeah, terrifying. And then he go. That's <gasps> every- it. Well, the brain actually then registers as a drop in oxygen. And, uh, and then it sort of kicks off um, and wakes up the system. And that's why the person will kind of wake up with a very startled sort of deep breath. Um, there, look, there's a few few telltale signs you've got to watch out for sleep apnea. And it's something that needs to be treated because it's associated with cardiovascular disease um, and also a range of other kind of issues as well. Um, <clears throat> the Probably the first one is a partner snoring. Uh, are they having apneas? they stop breathing during the night? Are they going to the toilet a lot during the night? So frequent urinating during the night because your system's working harder, so the kidneys start working. So that's a, that's another thing you've got to watch out for. Waking up with a dry mouth in the morning um, can also be a sign of um, sleep apnea and also waking up with a headache. But the, the major measure of whether a person has sleep apnea is um, how sleepy they are during the day. There's a measure called the Epworth Sleepiness Scale, which we use to assess that. But generally, if you find that you're sitting down uh, in a sedentary position and nodding off or at work or at your desk during the day or in front of the TV or in a car, if you're um, a passenger in your car, you find yourself nodding off, then the chances are, and you you have also uh, known as a snorer, uh, the chances are you might have sleep apnea. Uh, The first thing to do, if you think you do have one, go and see your GP. And they may refer you on to a sleep physician who will then do what we call a sleep study uh, where they measure your sleep throughout the night and they can determine and measure whether you have sleep apnea. So for people who are having a bit of trouble sleeping, some final words of advice. Uh, You know what? Probably the key thing is to stop worrying about your sleep. Um, Sleep is a natural kind of drive. It's one of the things you just can't control. And, And sleep is the thing that happens when you're thinking about something else. So uh, look at how long you're spending in bed. Uh, if you're spending a lot of time awake, then maybe think about going to bed a little bit later. can often help and getting up a little bit earlier. That can help. Um, if you're struggling to get to sleep and you're lying in bed and you're getting what I would say getting bent out of shape, get out of bed, just cool down, reset. Uh, drop your body temperature because that's a major factor that keeps us awake. Um, go back to bed and just focus on drifting. And that's favourite memories, destinations, conversations with friends. But generally, my, the major thing I would say to people is stop worrying about not sleeping. It's a natural process that uh, if you can get out of the way, it enables you to, um, it usually comes to you when you least expect it. 
Frankie, if people want to contact you for a session or to talk more about their sleep, where do they mm-hmm. go? Well, they can go to my website, um, which has got lots of information there. Um, What's my, that? Uh, web, well, the website is Sleep With Confidence. So it's um, sleepwithconfidence.com.au and uh, they can uh, go onto the website and they, you know, I've got my details there. But there's some information there, um, some handouts there about how to get a better night's sleep as well. Brilliant. I'm sure I'll sleep well tonight. I hope you do too. Good on you. Thanks for that, Caroline. And stay tuned next week to hear mentor program and trading boardroom graduate, Crackerjack Marla Ludikins. I'm Caroline Stephen. Happy trading this week. As always, if you like this show, please be sure to tell a friend. This is super important because word of mouth is the most powerful way that people can get in touch with us. You can also subscribe on Apple Podcast and make sure you give us a big fat five-star review because it helps people find us. You'll also notice that Talking Trading doesn't use sponsors and barely advertisers. This is because Chris Tate and Louise Bedford fund this show from tradinggame.com.au. If you'd like to get Louise's five-part free e-course, register at tradinggame.com.au. So until next week, happy trading. The views represented on Talking Trading are general in nature and do not take into account your objectives, financial situation or needs. Before acting on any of the information, consider its appropriateness in regards to your own situation.